Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Welcome back to Enacting the Kingdom, everybody. We are beginning a brand new series on the Litany of Peace, otherwise known as the Great Litany. It is the litany at the beginning of, I believe, almost every single Orthodox service that has a presbyter or a bishop uh, presiding at it. And it's uh, a, a litany of a bunch of different petitions praying for various needs of the world and of the church. And this episode, we're going to be previewing some of the things that we talked about in this series. Uh, one of the main themes, of course, is the title of the litany, which is Litany of Peace. And we talked a lot about shalom and irini and peace. So to give a, a bit of a teaser, Father Jeffrey, uh, maybe give a little rundown of this theme of peace that's going to come up over and over again in this series. Yeah, it's certainly... You know, one of the dominant themes in the scriptures, once you start noticing it, you'll notice it everywhere. And it's something which, you know, dominates in the Psalms and the prophets of the Old Testament. And of course, right into uh, the Gospels and the way St. Paul talks about uh, Christ coming as our peace. Uh, you know, what is God's peace? Well, you know, the, the, the English word you know, sells the whole concept a bit short, but the, the, the rich Hebrew term of shalom, which is also reflected in the Greek irini, we get a lot into that, um, about, you know, this is not just the absence of conflict. It is a kind of total well-being of the human person, of the groups and communities we belong to, and of the entire world. Ultimately, it is God's will for us, his desire for us, the telos or end of all creation is that it be in shalom. And if you recall back to our opening discussions about the beginning of Vespers, we talked a lot about the ordering of creation and how, you know, how beautiful that is and how God is involved in an ongoing basis to bring it to its end. Well, the, to, the, one word that sums up what God wants for creation and why creation was created in the first place is shalom, is peace. And so this entire litany is about directing us towards that end, towards that goal. And it's an exhortation, you know, for us to think about that in every aspect of our lives. There is a, uh, we talked a lot about the scriptural background to the litany of peace that we have these different um, petitions that come up and we went through the biblical foundations of all these one of the things that struck me is the fact that a lot of the liturgy a lot of orthodox people know a lot of the liturgy is just the scriptures rearranged that we take little bits here little bits there we we combine them in brand new ways in our worship of god but a lot of the quotations that are in the Litany of Peace, some of them are actual quotations that you can just simply lift out of the Bible. Some of them, though, are not direct quotations. They're allusions or, or references. 
And we talked a lot about how the liturgical poetry and these litanies and prayers often swim in this biblical language, as opposed to sort of just kind of proof texting. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, liturgy does this a lot. I mean, the church fathers tend to do this a lot. Even St. Paul in the New Testament does this. Um, The, you know, we think of quoting something as being an exact science, you know, and in fact, we're told to do that in school, right? And put it in quotation marks and footnote it. And and that's just not the way people thought. I love that image of the swimming in it, because really what you have is the vocabulary, the themes, the phrases, the, the, that are just kind of, they're lived because they're prayed and they're experienced and read on an ongoing basis. And, you know, when, when things get quoted in the liturgy in particular, you know, there are these rich, illusions. Of course, within the scriptures themselves, this is already at work, right? So prophets quoting Psalms and Psalms quoting prophets and the Torah and, you know, and St. Paul gets his hands on it. I mean, he sometimes mashes whole sections together and makes up new things and says, as it was, as it was written, you know, and of course it was never quite written that way until he wrote it that way, but that's perfectly all right. It is just this kind of, it's like living in a, in a great big house that has many rooms and each room is decorated with all the language and vocabulary and themes and principles of, of the community of faith and, and the, the scriptures, you know, uh, which dominate that are, are what give the lifeblood to, to our liturgical tradition. There isn't a single word we pronounce in liturgy that doesn't come out of that kind of context. And it, it can be fascinating to kind of trace where some of that comes from, not in an exact way, but to sort of see how, um, you know, all of these things, these illusions can come together and, and just deepen our, our experience of, of our community of faith and, and of our experience of God. One of the things that struck me when we were doing our study on how the litany of peace is liturgically enacted in that, like, what is the deacon doing? What's the presbyter doing? What are the people doing? So that's our third episode in the series. Um, I should say fourth episode in the series, if you include this one. One of the things that you mentioned that really struck me, and I didn't think about it that much before, is the fact that the litanies themselves, that the petitions themselves aren't prayers per se, that they're exhortations to prayer. They're invitations to pray. And it's not the presbyter or the deacon at the front who's doing the praying. It is the presbyter or the deacon exclaiming what we're going to pray about. And it's the people responding with, Lord have mercy, who affirm that prayer or enact that prayer. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the the ways that litanies are, are done. You have you find it here, you find it, you know, in little litanies and in, in some others. The others other litanies where, you know, the deacon or, or presbyter will be praying directly to God. Um, in fact, you know, we mentioned that this great litany, you know, used to be at a later part in the service, both in the divine liturgy and in the liturgy of the hours. And then it, it got brought to where it is now at the beginning of the service. And what ended up replacing it is a, is a litany just like that, the so-called fervent litany we pray directly to God or the, the, the petitioner prays directly to God and the people are responding often three times, you know, Lord have mercy. But this one has much more the character of kind of stage directions or, you know, it, I think we use the phrase master of ceremonies that the deacon is playing that role of just trying to bring everybody and put them in their right place. And one of the places that people need to be in is 
praying and doing this and, and being given this instruction and an agenda of all the items to, to pray for. And it's interesting because, you know, the history of this was that, you know, initially this came at a time when people were still gathering or moving or processing, you know, towards the church. And so a lot of the things and the considerations that are being asked of people to pray for were the things that were around them in the world. You know, let's pray for this. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for this. It would be as you were passing, you know, literally, you know, there's the king's palace, you know, let us pray for the civil authorities. You know, there's, you know, the people who are, are sick in the hospital. Let's pray for, you know, for them. And it's, it's a kind of gathering instruction in a way. It's bring all of this together. And as you enter the church, you know, bring these stories, these, these narratives, these, these, these concerns and desires and, and wrap them up into this shalom of God's, which is what this ultimately is all about. It's stage directions to say everything you, you want to think about, wrap it up in one place and we'll enter the church together and pray for these things. And so the whole rest of the service in a way, not just even in the immediate response of Kyrie on Lord of Mercy, but in a way that everything that then unfolds after it in the service is the response to that exhortation. Let's do this. Let's let's gather and extend the the, the shalom of God to the entire world. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project. For those interested, we actively post new episodes on our private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate, discuss, and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions. To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. One of the aspects of the litany of peace that we talked about is that response of the people, Lord have mercy to each of the petitions. And we talked about how the term Lord have mercy can be misunderstood in the sense of people thinking that it's groveling. For for sure. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people would kind of maybe make the assumption that it is a a plaintive, you know, kind of cry, Uh, you know, Lord pity me or, you know, change your mind about this and and come and do something about it almost. Uh, I'm suffering. Don't you care? And it's not at all in that spirit. I mean, it, it actually... You know, throughout the service, like Shalom, you know, the, the whole concept of mercy is something that, that gets developed further and further. And, and the, the prayers, uh, particularly this is reflected, you know, very deeply in those prayers of light that the, the presbyter prays, um, quietly at the beginning of the service that used to be kind of collect prayers that everyone, one heard. I mean, the, the emphasis there is that, you know, there is no other God who is, first of all, there is no other God, full stop, right? But then secondly, among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. And what what is that character that, that no other God has? It's the mercy, it's the love, the compassion, extending himself across all of creation and trying to draw it towards this beautiful experience of shalom. So those two things go hand in hand. Why is God 
wanting us to have this well-being, this prosperity, this 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 total, uh, you know, divine communion is because he has mercy and compassion. So Lord of mercy isn't plaintive. It is God act according to your nature. And that and it's, it's an expression of faith in who God is, the compassionate, loving, merciful God. When we talk about peace, and we earlier in this episode, we're just talking about the scriptural tradition of the theme of peace and shalom. What came to my mind then, and I want to bring up now, is this almost New Testament climax of the use of the term peace in the resurrection narratives of Christ, who appears in the midst of the disciples with the doors locked, and, he's, and he tells them, peace. And we get this, we, that, that's one of the images that I think should be coming to our mind when we're standing in, in church and the deacon or the presbyter exclaims, in peace, let us pray to the Lord, right? Understanding us as the disciples gathered together and um, being in the midst of the resurrected Christ himself. Yeah, and every one of our services, I mean, you see this at the Divine Liturgy uh, frequently, but I mean, Every significant liturgy of the hour service, you know, has this as well, where, I mean, there is some kind of entrance of the presiding, you know, the, the senior figure, the bishop, if there is one, or what, who will turn and do precisely that action of Christ, which is, you know, peace be unto to all. Uh, so there'll be a point later in, in Vespers where we get to that, but the the, the so the, the point of this litany is to kind of orient ourselves towards the receiving of them. It's such a high moment. You know, I think we, we've we become so used to it that, oh, yes, peace be unto all. Yes, I've heard that before. And, you know, we kind of mutter a, a response uh, to it. But to understand just how profoundly significant that is. It is the moment of God's reconciliation with all the world, you know. And how is that affected? You know, of course, through the death and resurrection of Christ and so, of course, in the resurrection appearances, that is what our Lord is going to say to, to those who, who, who meet him. Uh, so to understand just how rich and sacramental those words are. I mean, we are receiving peace and grace and love in that, in that moment, in that expression. We, I, I think if we open our minds and hearts to that, we would be overwhelmed you know, with what that represented. And so, you know, how do we prepare ourselves for it? Well, you have a litany that's all about, okay, what is that going to look like when we receive it or as we receive it, as we receive it on an ongoing basis? I have a few more things I'd like to preview for the series. And one of them that what you just said leads to that is one of the petitions that we sort of invoke this piece on is for the civil authorities. And we pray for the leader of our country, president, prime minister, queen. We pray for them directly. And sometimes there's even included the petition for the armed forces. And in this series, we do talk a little bit about the tension that us Orthodox Christians have with understanding the proper place and proper purpose of praying for these nations and these armed forces and these leaders. Yeah, well, there are kind of two equal and opposite errors we're trying to avoid. One is to say, uh, you know, what we're doing is spiritual and, you know, churchly and religious, and it has nothing to do with the world, right? That ultimately we're gathering in this place to experience the peace of God while we wait out 
his rescue plan where he'll whisk us away and do something else. Uh, that's the going to heaven, you know, ticket or whatever that we might think we have. That's, of course, a great error, and it has nothing to do with the Old or New Testament, which is about heaven and earth coming together. And so we have to reject, you know, that. But on the other hand, there can be the opposite error of then confusing civil authorities with the authority of God or sort of expecting or putting trust in princes and sons of men, you know, as the psalm says, which is never a good thing. You know, so the, the Christian balance, the tension that we're to experience is that, yes, the only peace that matters, the only authority that ultimately matters is God's, who is king. On the other hand, we also have to be caring for the whole world because he does, right? If, if, if we truly take his authority seriously, we take his agenda seriously. And his agenda is that he be all in all, that all the world be reconciled to him. So therefore, there's not one part of the world, including kind of dirty things like politics and wars and, and everything that we shouldn't be caring about and getting involved in. And so Christians absolutely need to be politically engaged, socially engaged, economically engaged in order to bring that shalom, you know, about. And that means sometimes you know, meeting and praying for unsavory characters. Um, in fact, you know, our theology tells us most people, <laughs> including ourselves, pretty unsavory when we start this process of transformation. So we shouldn't in any way not care or pray for these things. It, but it truly has to be set within that context of where is the real peace, the peace from above. That we, that we set that out at the, the beginning of this litany, and that's where everything else can be put into relation to it. One of the more helpful ways that this series has helped me think about the litany of peace is using that metaphor of setting the stage or giving a framework for what we're about to do. So in most of the services where the litany of peace is done, um, and you know Vespers being one of these services, so Vespers has this opening psalm, which through kind of poetry sets the stage for the kind of God that we believe in, the kind of creation we live within. And then we have the litany of peace, which further describes through petitionary prayer what kind of God we believe in and, and what kind of world he has created and in our place within it. And it's still that stage setting aspect of Vespers. And I, I feel like even at the Litany of Peace, it's still at the beginning. There's still it's still the entryway into the actual thematic climax of of Vespers. Yeah, well, you won't be surprised that the quote unquote entrance <laughs> has yet to happen. You know, um, and it's the same thing with the Divine Liturgy. There, there is a kind of prelude sense um, to the early part of of the of the liturgy and uh, you know historically some of that took place often you know in procession moving towards the church you know there was a sense in which you know you didn't just arrive you know kind of move around the place, get yourself organized, and then start a service. The service started the moment you left your door at home and as you gather together with others on the way. And so, you know, although we now start this part of the Vesper service um, and other services indoors in the church, there is still a sense in which we're in motion, we're going towards something and that has yet to, to happen. But you're right, you're, you've set the stage, set some themes in place, set an agenda. Uh, it's a bit like a meeting has been called and you've been shown the agenda and you're agreeing to it, right, at this point. I mean, the, the ultimate purpose of, of the meeting 
has been signaled. Um, but now you've been given all the line items uh, on the agenda, you know, and usually you're asked whether you want to add anything to it. <laughs> well, in a way, we are, you know, we're adding us, we're adding our stories, our concerns, our life. And what are we supposed to do with all that? Commend ourselves and each other and our whole life unto Christ our God, which is how the litany ends. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom. For bonus episodes and content, or if you'd simply like to see this show continue, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. See you next time. Thank you.